Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And it's officially polo season. I'm Nick Saveri. That's right. Two matching polos. For, for those of you that are listening, Nick and I are in our stylish polos. We wore our sideline NFL coach polos for today because <laughs> we've decided that it's dress down day. New York City's a buzzing in the background, as you can hear. Uh, Nick, my friend, how are you doing, buddy? I, I haven't I haven't talked to you in a few days. How's everything? It, it's been a while, man. I'm better than you and the Knicks, unfortunately. Oh, no, geez. but here we go. Sorry. It is what it is what it is. I have my nets, you know you know little hoodie up here but i don't need to i don't need to do that to you we're hanging in there man weather's getting warmer so we're good. Well, i don't know if you meant to do that as a as a great segue <laughs> and i know there's people that have, have have written in by the way to say i need to stop saying perfect segue but literally our topic for today is about weather so you can't get better of a segue than that folks Dude, any time seriously anytime folks rss feed microphone like yeah, all that, that's right that's right all of it yeah you know, we appreciate you listening see i'm about to do what you did like two weeks ago and people yeah. came to me by the way yeah. is mike okay like he was like real he came <laughs> hot he's being real and i'm being real with this too we I, appreciate the feedback we appreciate yeah. the thoughts but you come at us with like have you ever thought about have you ever yeah. done that well you know yeah you we know, have and it's not a good idea yeah before before we get into our topic for today which was weather and uh and the amazing Violetta Yas from from Telemundo 62 and NBC 10 in Philadelphia. Um, it is funny because I get that a lot of, hey, have you ever thought of this? You know, maybe you should do this. Uh, maybe you should do that as if, you know, this is our. Now, yes, Nick and I interest of full disclosure, full, full disclosure. This is our second podcast that you and I have done. We had the Nick Zaveri show with Mike Leon. 
Uh, people can <laughs> literally go YouTube this oh and you can goodness. see the less than 30 views that this, this show uh, got, uh, 20 of which were Nick and I hitting the buttons again. Um, this is back when YouTube had just started. We talked about the Raiders. We realized that that niche of a football team, even though they're very popular, uh, you everybody knows at least a Raider fan or two in their life, but uh, not that many people were listening, tuning in, Nick. And then so you and I, uh, what I did was I decided to work in television for another 10 years. And then you right, we decided to buy equipment and then we started this show. But it's always funny. I, I get a kick out of it because I think the, the best part about it is it's no longer friends, family. Now it's comments on social. It's across the board. And that's when you know that you're you're touching a nerve or you're doing something that's informative and helpful. And so that's why I love it. And I think today's topic is informative, educational, helpful, all in that same manner. And like I mentioned, it's about weather. You know, we all watch our nightly newscasts, right? Or we watch, you know, whenever there's a big storm coming, hurricane season, things like that. And it's always like, what, what is that experience like? That meteorologist, like how did they get their star? How did they do that? So the fantastic uh, Violeta Yas is joining us from Telemundo 62 and NBC 10 in Philadelphia. Um, she's another Rutgers grad like Nick and I, so kudos there for her. But she, um, I found her through a Twitter uh, post that she had posted of a piece that she did for NBC 10 talking about climate change and race. And it's a series that they were doing about how climate change really has a racial element to it. Now, I know there's going to be people uh, explain, and I will explain, and you can check out Violetta's piece online. But in the piece, they go to the urban areas of Philadelphia, specifically where obviously where she's an anchor, and they go in and do and, and look at how the asphalt and the concrete you know, really stores this heat during the days. There's not a lot of trees planted in urban areas as opposed to in suburban areas, right? And so the heat has nowhere to release to. It rises up at night and what? That rises your air conditioner costs, things like that. And then all of that happens in communities where they're already not earning a lot in terms of wages and stuff like that. So the piece that she did was fantastic. We invited her on the program because we wanted to get to know more about her, but also more about how race and climate change are kind of a little bit interwoven here. And, and the piece really does a fantastic job. I really recommend for people to go check it out online. Uh, Nick, I know you've seen a lot of Violetta's work and obviously you're in kind of the Philadelphia suburbs um, where you can actually catch her telecast. Uh, what do you make of the topic overall and Violetta's work? You know, like so many other topics we do on the show, you know, we try to bring on, we, we bring on someone who knows what they're talking about, you know, and whether, well, there's a perfect example of something that we all think we have an opinion about, or we think we have an, an, an a well-informed opinion about it, and you really don't. I mean, it's experiential data at best. You look outside, you're like, oh, it's raining, right? You know, we all assume that we know these things, but we really don't. And that's why we have her on today, just to give us more context, but also really just give us an informed understanding of what does it mean to actually study weather and be able to, and report on it. Yeah. And, you know, well, first off, you, you said people look outside their window and it's not 1962 anymore. People now check their phones and right. <laughs> and they got to ask you whether they go to weather.gov. They're doing all this and they ask Alexa. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Alexa. They got the iPhones have that weather app already loaded onto your phone that you can't delete for some reason. And so they look at that. 
And Violetta does a great job of explaining uh, as well some of these terms. And you can listen, by the way, exclusively to some of this bonus content that she gave us on Patreon about really the difference between weather and climate change before we get into the free portion. But um, she really breaks it down for the layperson that doesn't understand it, right? We are, and, and I think the other thing is, is that, and something you didn't touch on that we talked with her about in the interview, that weather people sometimes get a bad rap. They get this rap of like, hey, anybody could do that, right? It's a green screen behind you. You just got to point correctly to the right elements. And then there's the other part of it of like, hey, uh, you, I saw your forecast and now it's off, right? Like almost as if I need to prove you wrong. And so we asked her about that. She gave us a, a fantastic response and you can check that out. Head over to the Patreon portion to listen to that. But we were so excited that Violetta was able to join us today and really dive in more about you know the piece that she did. Like I mentioned, it's so fantastic. And, and what it's like to be a meteor- meteorologist, person of color being a meteorologist and her advice for you know the potential future generations of males, females that want to come up and study meteorology. So we were so excited that Violetta was able to join us today. Today's episode, Nick, is sponsored by Relief Factor. Pain from everyday living, exercise, or just getting older is one of the leading causes of trips to the doctor and sleepless nights. Nick, how you feeling, buddy? I mean, I, I, could, do, I could use some pain relief. I got that 15-month-old on my arm constantly. I'm, you know, I got my six-year-old running around for some reason she likes to punch me a lot i'm mm-hmm. raising a little warrior there so yeah i got pain children my shoulders and my back are where are where it lives so you gotta tell me more about this man well look the copy says here it interferes with daily activities and can keep us from spending time with the people we love so you fed right into it because if you have everyday pain folks it stands to reason you need something you can feel comfortable with taking every day and that's why doctors invented 100 percent drug-free relief factor okay Now, there's tens of thousands of customers that are using Relief Factor every day to become mostly or completely pain-free, but 100% drug-free Relief Factor, let me tell you a little bit about it because it features four key ingredients that each work on a different metabolic pathway to support your body's natural healing process to respond to pain and inflammation. All right, Nick, get ready. Get ready for our 90s, uh, you know, little infomercial here because you can try Relief Factor too, folks. The quick, the three-week quick start it's a retail price of almost $70, Nick, $70. It's now available to our listeners for just $19.95. Stop it. I swear, $19.95. That's slash $20, place. folks. <laughs> no promo code needed, folks. All you got to do is head to the link in our show notes to find out more. I want to do it again. $19.95. No, no, I'm kidding. So listen, folks, No, in all seriousness, this is the retail price of almost $70 for this product, and it's available to the customers for $19.95. That's insane. Head to the link in our show notes to find out more, and let's start your journey to better health and less pain today with Relief Factor. All right, like we introed at the top, our, our guest for today, well, first off, for the people that are going to roll their eyes, yes, another Rutgers grad has graced us with their presence. It's a good school. Uh, she is the chief meteorologist at Telemundo 62 and NBC 10 in Philadelphia. And that is friend of the program, Violetta Yas. Violetta, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us. Oh my gosh, of course. Thanks so much for the invite. Love what you guys are doing and uh, excited to be here. Well, we appreciate that. That's going somewhere in the Soundbite library. Um, so, Violetta, we, we want to start at the top because, um, and I told you this off air about some of the pieces that you were doing about 
climate change and how it's affecting race in Philadelphia and some of the pieces you've done. But first, we want to get a little bit more about you. Um, tell us, you know, how you got your start. What made you interested in meteorology? So I, I would, I'm actually one of those people who, you know, when, when you talk to a lot of meteorologists, I would say nine out of 10 will have a very similar story that they've known they've wanted to be meteorologists since, you know, they were four or five, six years old. In a lot of cases, you know, they've lived through, um, you know, some historic storms, you know, Sandy for some people, uh, you know, Andrew in Florida. Uh, in my case, though, I originally, I, I've always had a passion for sports. So initially, that was really the direction I was hoping to go in, in terms of my broadcasting career. However, um, as you mentioned, I am a Rutgers grad, and when I graduated in uh, 2008, some people might remember, it was a horrible time to be on the market for a job. The last recession, um, so, you know, that's something I actually, I talk about quite a bit when I go to speak to students that I, you know, I absolutely relate to what they're going through right now and sort of trying to get their foot in the door. So when I was on the market at that time, you know, the economy was awful. I was having a really difficult time. I, I looked for a job for two years um, before I was able to um, get my first offer. And in that case, by that time, I was really frustrated and I was getting to the point where I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe this is, you know, the universe telling me that I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction. But I decided to expand my job search because at the time I was living in New York. So, you know, I, I obviously I would have loved to have stayed close to my family. My fam family's in uh, New Jersey. So, you know, looking for jobs in the biggest media market in the country when you're fresh out of college, maybe is a little bit of a stretch. So I decided to expand my search a little bit and I saw a position um, at uh, AccuWeather in State College and they were looking for a bilingual broadcaster. And up until that point, it had never really occurred to me. I, again, I, I don't know why, but I had never really seriously considered using, my first language was Spanish. I never considered using it as sort of a, a career path or you know an entryway into a career. So something just clicked. And obviously at that time, you know, my, my background was in journalism. I did not have the, you know, the weather or the science uh, background, but they were willing to train the right person um, who was, if you were fluent enough in both languages. So I, I sort of rolled the dice and, you know, what happened after that was just, you know, I got a lot of really deep training in weather, um, sort of informal training before I ended up eventually going back to school um, for meteorology. And it just opened up this whole world for me that I, I didn't really realize how much of a need there was for credible weather information in Spanish. Um, it just was, again, wasn't something that had occurred to me. What happened was when I um, was offered the job, of course, you know, when you're about to start a job, you know, I, I was looking for people to sort of emulate, people to learn from. And I had a really hard time finding people um, that were, you know, presenting the weather in Spanish in sort of a, a serious way. I hate to bring up, you know, like stereotypes and things like that, but I really had a difficult time finding people that I could learn from. Um, so that just sort of opened up this whole uh, world for me that I didn't really realize was there. And so, you know, in my case, the my love for, you know, meteorology and, you know, taking something very complicated and explaining it 
in a, you know, in a very understandable way was a sort of a passion that developed for me. And then over time, once I sort of grew in my career and I saw how much of a need there was, again, for um, credible weather information in, in Spanish, it just really, it just really took off from there. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. What did you think was the was the impact of, of a primarily almost an, an exclusively uh, English based medium in terms of in terms of meteorology? Like what was the with that in, in with that in the case, like what is that saying to to people who are not non English speakers just in terms of like just understanding, you know, concepts like that? They're that normally not presented in, in that language. You know, I think, yeah, there is the, the market for a long time has been ignored or, you know, at best really underserved. Um, I think there's just a lack of attention, you know, to, you know, that particular part of, you know, the, the, uh, of America. I mean, how there are millions of Latinos in the United States. So, you know, for, for them to not be able to get critical weather information in, you know, in, in a, in a coherent way, in a, in a serious way is just a big problem. I mean, yeah, the, those underserved communities, I, I just, you know, I, I felt that they really needed our attention. So aside from the work I've been able to do with improving, you know, science, science communication through work, I'm involved in a couple of other committees. I'm on the, um, uh, it's actually a new committee through the American Meteorological Society, the Committee for Hispanic and Latinx Advancement. And one of our, uh, our first projects really is creating Spanish language resources for lightning safety. Um, it's something that, again, a lot of people don't think about, well, you know, why lightning, right? We get a lot of different weather here in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic. Well, we have found that Hispanic people are disproportionately at risk for lightning exposure due to the places that they live and due to the places that they work. So if you think about it, right, the um, states like Florida and Texas have an immense um, Latino population, millions and millions, right? Well, um, Texas and Florida also routinely rank one and two in terms of lightning flash density across the country. So they, they get the most amount of lightning pretty much in the country. Um, and then when you pile on top of that, the jobs that this can, that this community tends to have, a lot of them tend to be outdoors. You'll get a, you know, big, big, um, a lot of participation in, um, you know, agriculture, farming, forestry, construction, landscaping. So, you know, finding that this community was routinely outdoors for an extended amount of time pretty much every day in places where lightning is frequently occurring um sort of was the uh, touch point of this uh campaign so you know at least for me uh, i can't explain why that community has been underserved for so long but you know it was just one of those things that i felt was okay well not on my watch you know i'm gonna do something about it you met, we talked, you just briefly talked about Texas. You know, we saw recently um, just a winter storm just, you know, basically devastate the area. You know, from that, you know, from a standpoint, from a meteorology standpoint, meteorological standpoint, what was your read on what you saw happening just from an infrastructure standpoint? You know, what is like we're looking at a state that just was never envisioning something like that happening, but its impact on underserved communities uh, and across the state, uh, across the state, across the board. Like from your standpoint, obviously being the Northeast, but being a meteorologist, what was your what was your take when you saw that? Yeah, I think that event in particular maybe opened up 
a lot of people's eyes to the realities of climate change that, you know, people um, like to ignore or, you know, not believe, you know, however you, however you want to phrase it. And, you know, unfortunately with the, the direction that that's going in, extreme events are going to start happening more often, um, you know, and whether we have terms like, you know, a hundred year flood of, of you know, 50 year flood to sort of put into context when you get extremely impactful events like that. Well, you know, you may start having, you know, a once in a hundred year flood a little bit more often now. So I, I think that event in particular um, really opened up people's eyes to, you know, this is going to affect, you know, everyone. It's not just going to get a lot hotter and it's not just going to get a lot colder. We really need to, in a lot of cases, take a long, hard look at how we are preparing for the future. And, and I'm not so, so, so familiar, you know, with, with the sort of infrastructure of Texas, but I know, for example, here in Philadelphia, we have, uh, there are a lot of very old homes. Philadelphia is a very, very old city. Um, so, you know, I know there, the city has some great initiatives. We actually included um, uh, one of them in our climate special that we recently did. And, you know, I think it's, it's time, you know, cities take a long, hard look at how they're planning for the future, because, you know, like most things, it, it, it may be expensive and it, you know, might be time intensive, but like most things, it's usually better to get on the front end of it, as opposed to, you know, being in a position where you're reacting to it. Well, let's stay there because, uh, and I mentioned this to you off air, but I saw a piece of yours that you did for NBC 10 about race and climate change. And I can already see people uh, rolling their eyes. Oh, no, we're involving race into this. But but you did a fantastic piece. They can based- kick rocks, though. <laughs> right. You did a piece uh, with data showing uh, how temperatures were hotter in the Philadelphia metro areas versus the suburbs and what the towns and cities were doing or lack of not doing, planting trees, things like that. So take our audience a little bit through, first off, the piece that you did and what it you know kind of exposed, for lack of a better word, and then talk a little bit about how race and climate change are intertwined that people don't know. Yeah, so the our, our station has a series that they do about once a month. It's called Race in Philly. They started it last summer, of course, when um, you know the sort of racial justice awakening happened, and we thought it was really important to, you know, have a space to talk about these very intricate and complicated topics that you can't really expand on the way they deserve during a typical newscast, right? So that's how the series started. But then, uh, you know, as time went on, uh, when we were sort of uh, brainstorming other things we could talk about, you know, they talk about, you know, gun control and things like that. You know, my idea was, well, you know, I think race and climate are just enormous topics, you know, enormous standalone topics. But I think it's lesser known how intertwined they really are for a couple of reasons. In my particular piece in that series, we broke it down into, I believe it was, uh, I think it was five pieces. And each of us was responsible for sort of explaining one particular uh, impact and mine was uh, about heat. So I talk in the piece about the concept of the urban heat island, which is, you know, that's not a new term, that's a, it's a meteorology term. So what that, what an urban heat island is, and this is a, something that's common in, in most 
metro areas, you know, the, the, the city tends to be hotter than the outlying areas that tend to have more green space, more trees and more grass because of all the concrete and asphalt that is, you know, um, put into these areas. Of course, you need that stuff for, for a city to, to run and to function. But uh, those types of materials, heat, uh, I'm sorry, um, you know, asphalt and concrete, they retain that heat all day long. And then at night they release it as opposed to when you are in an area that has lots of trees, that has, you know, lots of grass, you get evapotranspiration that's allowing for some cooling in the air to happen. Um, and that just doesn't happen when you are talking about a major uh, metro area, not only because of the infrastructure, but also because of the amount of people in there who are also on top of that creating more heat. We're running our air conditioners. We're driving our cars. That's creating pollution, and that's just not allowing the air to circulate the way uh, to circulate or cool the way it needs to. So by default, you know, cities are going to be hotter. But even within that concept of a, an urban heat island, there are certain parts of the city that are even hotter than the surrounding areas. And that's what we found here in Philadelphia was the Hunting Park area in particular and a couple of others. Um, Strawberry Mansion what was another one that ranked pretty high that uh, even within even these smaller neighborhoods within the city as a whole had even less green space than the city as a whole. So I don't remember the percentage off the top of my head, but Hunting Park just has very, very little green space and uh, you know, very few trees. And that just allows the temperature there to get so much higher than some of the surrounding areas. And there's nowhere for people to get relief. Um, another aspect of sort of climate change is overnight low temperatures are slowly starting to climb. So in the summer, for example, I think a lot of people, you know, hope for uh, overnight to be able to sort of get some relief and, uh, you know, give the air conditioner a break. But unfortunately, if the, the, if the trend now is for those overnight temperatures, temperatures to continue to rise as well, it makes it difficult. And especially for elderly, very young children, just at-risk uh, populations in general, it makes it very difficult for them to uh, really get any relief. And unfortunately, what we found is those areas of the city that tend to be much, much hotter than surrounding areas are almost always low-income areas and places where uh, black and brown community tends to live. So um, it's something that's really impacting a lot of people, maybe in a way that they don't realize. And, you know, we, we, the response to the piece has been really great. Um, just people sharing how much they learned. And again, I think it's just, I think it's just one of those topics that when you explain it to someone, it makes a lot of sense, but maybe they, you know, people don't really connect it to um, typically on their own. What seems to be the opportunity to, to like with that framing to bring in more of a green space into these underserved communities, but also areas that are completely just basically asphalt havens for a lack of a better phrase. But you know, cause you mentioned just even having a tree, you know, like what is that changing um, in terms of, you know, just basically like the retention of heat and, you know, um, basically what the asphalt and concrete do to it. But in your, as you, in your reporting and what you were experiencing, what is the, like, what is the value of the presence of even so much as like planting more trees in, in urban areas? Well, I think the city of Philadelphia, they have an office of sustainability. I don't know how 
common that is in other cities, but working with them on this piece was uh, a really, was just really great to know that there are a lot of people working in the city who care about this issue. And they have a couple of programs, but one is called Beat the Heat in Hunting Park. They did a full 52 page report on this issue for this particular neighborhood. And they also highlighted again, a couple of the other areas that um, ranked very high in terms of having low a low amount of green space. Um, but they have a couple of initiatives where they plant trees, they plant flower beds, they distribute uh, box fans or air conditioners. And something as simple as a tree, one of the residents um, uh, that I spoke to Priscilla in the piece, she was so grateful to have this one tree in front of her house just for just to be able to sit in the shade, just shade, just that makes an enormous difference. I mean, think about it. If you're walking on a tree lined street, you know, and it's, it's very shady and then you sort of come out of that and you walk down to the next block and you're out and you feel that temperature difference. Um, so just having somewhere to sit, they, they um, helped put a bench right outside of her house. And she was so grateful for that just to be able to sit in the shade um, and, you know, come outside of your house and sort of not have, you know, the, the sun beaming at you everywhere you go. And again, this is a, a neighborhood issue. So there are very few places you can go in that neighborhood to, have, you know, get some, get some relief, whether it's the, the grocery store or, or what have you. So something as simple as a tree providing shade makes a big difference and helps to, uh, can help to lower the surface temperature. Before uh, you had mentioned about um, how many women, I think we're chief meteorologists around the country. I think it's less than like 10%. So, um, and you said you kind of found your way through not being able to find something in the job search, but now that you found your way in meteorology and you love it so much, what's a piece of advice you would impart to somebody that wants to break into meteorology? I would say, um, you know, you, number one, don't take no for an answer, <laughs> first and foremost, because I got a lot of no's before, you know, I, I, I got it. Yeah. So I, I always have to start with that. Um, it's a very competitive industry. And I think it's one of those industries where people sort of see the finished product. They, you know, will see you on Instagram, you know, and you get a great opportunity to go, you know, um, do a report out at the Phillies game. And they sort of see those cool things. And I think, um, they sort of fall in love with the glamorous appearing part of the industry. But, you know, the, this job is really done behind the scenes. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's hard work. It's a grind. And I think people, and that's something that I always try to talk to students about, uh, just in terms of the, the industry in general, whether it's a, you know, a man or a woman, is to understand that, you know, you're looking at the finished product. You're not seeing, you know, everything that went into that behind the scenes that, you know, 10, 15, 20 people that worked on this, you know, minute or two of, of television. So you really need to be ready to work hard. Um, and, you know, it's just one of those that is not as, as glamorous, I guess, as, uh, as it appears. And in terms of young women, I, I work really hard to, to talk to young women and instill confidence in them. You know, from a young age, girls are sort of taught to like quiet themselves and make others feel comfortable. And I just feel that things like that have such a long-term impact. I think a lot of um, young girls and even grown women 
um, myself for a time, um, suffer from imposter syndrome, where, you know, you just, you, you have the skills, you have the experience. And, you know, just because from a young age, I think it's, uh, it's just something that young girls struggle with finding their confidence. I think it takes uh, girls and women a little longer to find their confidence. So we're really hard to, you know, let them know that, you know, you, you work for this, you deserve to be here. And just because you may look around and not see people who look exactly like you, that just means maybe you were meant to sort of pave the way, you know, in, in my case, for example, I wonder to this day now, if I didn't have an interest in meteorology because I didn't like it when I was younger, or if it's really because I wasn't really seeing anybody who looked like me doing it. Oh, you know, whether it's on TV or, you know, in other places, there's just not a lot of uh, Latinas in the field, um, much like, you know, curly hair, you know, it's, it's little things like that. I, I wore my hair straight on TV for 10 years. I just started wearing my hair, my, my natural hair about a year ago. And something as simple as that, um, it sort of happened a little bit before the pandemic. And the amount of messages that I got about that, not at, on the superficial sense of, you know, about my hair, but from young girls saying, I love your hair. I love seeing someone with curly hair on TV who looks like me. You look like me. You look like me and my friends. Um, so just, you know, encouraging young girls to uh, find that confidence as soon as they can to not to sort of ward off that imposter syndrome. I, you know, I'm sure it happens to everybody at one point or another, but I think young girls uh, from a younger age need to be um, taught to be confident and, you know, and have an opinion and um, just leadership skills in general. So, you know, that's something that I, uh, I think is really important for this field. Yeah. Wait, um, I wanted to follow up on that because we just had Chad Sanders on the program who wrote a fantastic book about, you know, black magic, what black leaders learn from trauma and triumph. And he talked about code switching and how he tried to like change the way he appeared when he worked at Google and other tech companies. And then when he found that he did let his hair down or up in his case um, and dressed the way he, you know, felt more comfortable, then they started to give him more projects, more responsibilities. And he, found his way. And now he's channeling his creativity and banking on himself. But um, for you, what was that experience like? Because you're not the first Latina we've had on the program that has also uttered imposter syndrome. And I'm obviously Latino. Um, I can't hide it with this face, but um, it's, but I'm also raising a daughter, Andrea. So um, like, how hard is that for young people on the come up that don't understand because now it's back-to-back guests it's another latina that's mentioned it so for me now it's resonating um how hard is that and what like what is the message it gets better later or start out right as yourself when you're you know presenting yourself in front of people i think it's that in particular is something that is just ingrained in in my case the immigrant experience i was born in argentina I moved here very young. Um, I was five or six. And then, uh, you know, I, I grew up in, in North Jersey. But, you know, my going to college and things like that, it's just, I didn't have anyone to like coach me up on those sort of things, you know, filling out my, you know, financial aid form, filling out my, you know, housing papers and things like that. I didn't have anyone to, I had great counselors in high school and all that, don't get me wrong. But 
there was nobody really there to sort of, you know, hold my hand or, you know, I, I wasn't close to anyone who had been through that process before. So sort of having to always navigate things on your own and kind of learn as you go, I think has a lot to do with it. Um, I think there's a lot of good that comes from that too. In you know, just building a, a work ethic and uh, having a sort of can-do attitude and, you know, not being deterred from challenges or when things don't go your way. I think, I think more good comes from it than bad. But I think that's maybe one of the sort of secondary impacts of the, at least again, in my case, uh, whether it be the Latino experience or the immigrant experience in my case, where, you know, you're just uh, around people sometimes and they're like, oh, well, you know, they're getting all these, you know, internships. And I mean, I'm having a hard time, you know, I, even looking where to apply. I remember looking around for the end of college and I mean, you know, I had great grades, um, you know, I was involved in other things. I would play club softball. And, um, you know, I, I knew a couple of people in the journalism program who at that point had, you know, three, four, five, six internships at ABC News, at NBC News. And I'm just like, what is going on? And I knew it wasn't a lack of effort on my part. But then as I got older and looked back on it, I realized, well, I, I had a job. <laughs> I actually had two jobs. You know, I had to work to, you know, pay whatever was left on my term bill, for example, that I couldn't get covered through financial aid. I had to work to pay my rent and, you know, pay for my books and, you know, sort of survive. So I think it's unfortunately sort of a side effect where it always feels like you're kind of catching up and you're always, you know, a little behind because you quite literally have to work for every little thing and sort of go get it yourself. You know, you don't have connections. You know, my, my, we all, my parents and I obviously moved here at the same time. You know, I didn't have anybody to pick up the phone and, you know, call, I don't know, Rutgers and sort of, you know, try to help me out or anything like that. So I think it's that sort of really getting it out of the mud that um, can make you feel like you are just not as ahead of everyone else. Um, but again, I think I think more good comes from it than bad. But you know, everything sort of has its has its two sides. Violetta, uh, before we let you go, you uh, I know there's a book, The Meteorologist in Me, that I believe you did the translations for in Spanish. That was written by uh, Br- I forget the author's name, Brittany uh, Ship. Now, Brittany Ship. Yep. Yeah. And so um, tell us a little bit about that book because it kind of feeds into you know getting people exposed to this career field at an early age. So tell our audience a little bit about that book and your involvement in it. Yeah, I think um, you're going to hear me probably talk about a lot of similar themes. Um, So Brittany wrote the book and she had the, um, she had the book for, I think about a year before she approached me with um, interest about doing a Spanish version and a bilingual version. And it's a really great book. The, the themes I think uh, again, are really, um, are really present in, in not only in, in her life, but mine as well. So it was just interesting that we were able to work on this together. It's about a little girl named Summer who has the dream to be a meteorologist. And, you know, she encounters naysayers, her own brother say, you know, oh, you can't do it. You're, you know, you're too shy or, you know. Um, so then what happens is the Summer goes to school one day and they are having career day. So for career day, the teacher brings the TV meteorologist to visit the class and it's the meteorologist that summer 
admires and, you know, watches her on the news all the time. So even um, her classmates sort of laugh at her like, oh, you can't be a meteorologist. And then at the end, sort of the big reveal is that um, once career day was over, the meteorologist, uh, April Showers is her name, brings Summer onto the newscast to help her do the forecast. So, you know, it's, it's a very encouraging book about, you know, following your dreams. You know, you can do anything you put your mind to no matter what. Um, you know, dealing with criticism, um, even from your family, because in the book, even her brothers are sort of, you know, her, the big naysayers are the brothers. <laughs> so um, not only, not only that, but also encouraging young girls or, you know, anyone, obviously, but especially in this case, young girls and young black girls, the main character, the, the whole uh, family, actually, it's a black family. So that was something that was also important to uh, Brittany that I also really loved was that the uh, characters were brown, you know, and uh, the main character has curly hair as well. So there are a lot of sort of similar themes there that I, I think the book, um, anytime I visit schools before the pandemic, obviously, I was visiting schools all the time, reading the book and um, kids love it because it's very, it's very relatable. And even I think in ways that maybe they're not aware of yet um and you know depending on the age group obviously but i think there are little details in there that maybe as they grow a little bit older they'll they'll realize that you know it was all very um it was all very thought out well that's awesome um, i recommend the book for everybody if you've got a little one out there go check it out the meteorologist and me we're going to move over to the patreon portion of this where we're going to blame violetta for all the bad weather that's ever happened in any state Why even though the way? Uh, even though she doesn't live there, we're just going to blame her for all the bad weather. You're not, you're not the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> uh, we thank you so much for coming on the program today, Violetta. Thank you so much. All the best to you. Continued success. Thank you so much. I had a great time. Nick, time for a personal question, my friend. What kind of toothbrush are you using over there? Nothing special. I mean, I brush twice a day, but you know, whatever I get at the pharmacy. Okay. Well, let's change that up because I'm going to introduce you to an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth, my friend. I've heard about electric toothbrushes. Like, you got to tell me more about this because- You're a little skeptical? Sounds uh, like you're a little skeptical. skeptical. I mean, I've, I like my tried and true, like take it out the pack, you know, get a little tooth, little toothpaste, do my thing. Right. This is an electric thing. Tell me about this. Okay, well, Bruch is a fantastic company, okay? And they're obviously sponsoring this program. But Bruch has powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, Nick. The brush, it just redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. Look, let me give you an example. You ever go to a dentist and when you leave, you got that fresh whole mouth clean sensation like the whole day? You I know love that about? feeling. Yes, yeah. I do. It's fantastic. Now you'll have it every single day with the brush toothbrush. Our listeners right now, folks, you're going to get 15% off your total purchase. All you have to do is enter the promo code POD15. So go to our show notes right now, whatever podcast platform you're using. Click on the link that's in there and enter the promo code POD15 at checkout when you buy this fantastic electric toothbrush. Let's upgrade your oral care routine. All right. That was the fantastic Violetta Yas. Like I mentioned, she is the chief meteorologist for Telemundo 62, Monday through Fridays. You can check her out 5 to 6 p.m., 11 p.m. as well. She fills in on NBC 10 in Philadelphia. So if you live in that area, which Nick is blessed and fortunate enough to live in that area. Right he here, is, she is our meteorologist. She is his chief meteorologist. Um, 
Nick, there were so many cool things there. Like obviously uh, some of that hit home for me, raising a little Latina girl myself and the stuff that she's doing with that book series. Um, talked about the imposter syndrome stuff. Yeah, It's almost like, wait, we, I thought we were talking about weather. We got a little bit of a tangent, but um, it's relevant because, you know, a few guests that we have had come on the program have spoken to similar experiences. And then Violetta's piece about, you know, race and climate change. Nick, what'd you make of the topic and, and Violetta overall? She was amazing. You know, and we, she blends the story. I mean, that, that book and um, just the importance of it, but then also, you know, the realities of being a meteorologist, her path to becoming that, which wasn't necessarily what she had thought of originally, you know, going down the, the pathway of broadcasting, but landing in that just amazing space and providing something that we had taken for granted. You know, the idea of being a, a Spanish speaking meteorologist, that's not a given. So, you know, hearing that story today about just that the dearth and the impact of that, like not having, you know, weather reports in your, in, in your language, like what is, you know, how are people being left out? I think she does an amazing job of, of unearthing it, her talking about like things that we hadn't paid attention to. You know, you talked about, um, and you gave, you know, gave a tease away to, you know, the report that she had put together, you know, connecting, you know, the realities of living in an urban environment and what is the reality of, what does weather look like for you? What is the experience of heat? Something as simple as that. And why is that different than when you live out in the suburbs? And if she breaks it down from the story that she did, but also, you know, just telling us today, um, you know, what are we missing? You know, what is the opportunity? What happens when you really do get rid of, you know, natural scenery in, in essentially the concrete jungle? Things that you wouldn't, like we take for granted, like the most common sense science that we no one pays attention to like anyone with a basic understanding of thermodynamics would say, of course, this makes sense, but we don't think about it. And the impact on that in underserved communities is real. It was right. just uh, up and down. Amazing interview, amazing story. Um, we did it again, man. Like another, another guest who just sheds light on something we normally don't know nearly enough about, but while also telling us her journey to being the expert that she is. Yeah. Listen, we're going to continue to pat ourselves on the back. But in Always. all seriousness, um, I, like there was a couple things there that I took away from the piece because, you know, I think people hear the buzzwords. We talked about this a bunch on this show, right? You hear a buzzword of race, you hear climate change. People all of a sudden sink their head. They think, oh, here we go with something else. And it's like, there's actually data that points to this. Like, you know, you take a tree out and it's just asphalt and there's and there's and now the heat has it's packed in. There's nowhere for it to go. And then you think about those communities, right? The median income average in those communities skews lower. Like it's like these are all data sets that are easily available for people to look up. So I thought blending that story together was fantastic. I'm, I'm being serious. You know, I say it all the time. Check out this book. Check out this. But really check out the piece on NBC 10 that Violetta did on this. Uh, like I mentioned, if you live in the Philadelphia area, Telemundo 62 uh, or NBC 10 or follow her on Twitter and IG. Speaking of which, you want to follow our show on Twitter, IG, TikTok at Can We Please Talk Podcast on YouTube. Nick is smashing the subscribe button. Please subscribe to the pod. If you're on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform that lets you leave a review, leave us a five-star review and comment, please. And you know we're on Spotify, Google, CastBox, all the major ones. So subscribe to the show. Uh, we appreciate all of the feedback and everybody each week listening to the program. We can't thank you enough. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Very grateful for the feedback. If you want to get, you know, if you want us to talk spicy to us, you can come get this smoke. And that's okay because we are always grateful for the feedback, though we may not necessarily agree with it. I'm Nick Saveri.
Boy, I'm clipping all of that, folks. I mean, I, I may leave spicy <laughs> Nick Severi. Like, literally, I may just leave that. You have a good one, everybody. Fair enough.